Queer Brood acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge Elders past and present, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. Sovereignty was never ceded. Recording in progress. Welcome to Queer Brood, a show about queer families produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Anya Saravanan. On today's episode, I speak to Mick, Bonds, Loz and Billy about their beautiful chosen blended family. They share their stories about growing up queer in different parts of the world and the joys and challenges about being part of a family structure that sits outside of what a normative understanding of what family is. Hi, my name is Mick Rose. I use they pronouns. I am and from the Diné Omaha Pawnee Nations on Turtle Island. My name is Bonds, uh, use they, them pronouns, um, from Perth, Western Australia, um, currently living on Turtle Island in Portland. Hello, uh, my name is Lauren, or Loz, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm Anglo-Burmese, my mum's family are Shan and Karen and Mon, uh, my dad's family are from Liverpool, of Irish Romani heritage. Um, and I'm delighted to be having this conversation, especially including Billy, my kiddo. Hi, um, I'm Billy. Hi, I'm Great. I think we talk a lot about the sort of challenges we face in sort of different family structures, but I want to first talk about the joy in having a family structure that's maybe slightly different to what we know. Um, I feel like some of the ideas of family for myself has shifted over, you know, many people probably, but um, I grew up in a very big family and a very close family um, on our, in our traditional homelands with, you know, 36 first cousins, like just very close. We all uh, had dinner together every Sunday, very supportive, very much in each other's business. Um, everyone had lots of kids and yeah. And I really loved my childhood and loved the family that I was born into. And as I got older, kind of came into my queerness, I experienced like family rejection, um, which felt very painful coming from a family that was so big and so close knit to, for somebody that you know, played a family role that wasn't just like cousin or daughter or granddaughter or niece, but also being from a matriarchal tribe and being the eldest daughter of the eldest daughter within our family structure came with like roles and responsibilities. And I felt like I held a lot for my family, Um, took time away from university to take care of my nieces and nephews to take care of my aunties um, was financially responsible for my family at a young age, like getting a full-time job in high school in order to help 
support our family and you know I had a lot of responsibility but also when that happened of like you know of coming out and being rejected I I felt like I wanted to reject them back Mm. (laughs) and moved across the world Mm. (laughs) because I, I need to find you know I felt really hurt by that and like wanted to find something that felt like that and felt good like that family structure did growing up and I feel like as a young person like coming into my queerness like I also felt really alien within queer community because I grew up in a very conservative and rural place Mm -hmm. so wasn't like in a party scene as much and you know I, I just I didn't really fit in and I was an indigenous person and felt really again like weird and alien being in that family in that community structure in how I looked, how I presented, all of the things. I think looking and finding community and kind of searching for like a family structure that felt comfortable took so much time and patience and hurt and yeah, just a lot of searching. But then when I met Bonds and in that beginning of like dating, of knowing each other, learning different family structures that they were a part of was eye-opening to me but also was like I was like I don't know if I could like live with other people like that hasn't really worked well for me um I don't want to live in like a house with a whole bunch of people that I don't know or that you know that have kids or whatever all the different things I was like I don't know if I could fit in but then as we lived together it just felt natural and it felt really good and just felt a lot of closeness and connection and love for you know this beautiful family that I was living with of Laws, Tiff and Billy and learning a lot by just witnessing how they lived life and how they had community and relationships around them which you know helped me kind of like deconstruct some of the things that I had set in my mind of like what family meant Um, that it didn't have to be like a blood relation, Mm -hmm. that um, it didn't have to be, you know, this like very heteronormative family model and structure, um, and that there were like a myriad of ways of being in family and in community together. And I feel like I became more open to what that can look like for me and the exploration of that over the past, you know, several years of knowing and being in this like group of people that I hold so dear in my life. So the joy of that is like finding people that you have those same values of closeness and of um, connection with maybe even some shared stories of feeling maybe not family rejection, but like it's hard to tell your parents everything that's happening or your aunties and uncles or all of your family, all of the things, um, some things you feel like maybe you have to keep to yourself. Some of us do get to have that family support. And so I feel like there's also a healing in witnessing that and seeing other parents be really like affirmed for their children. And that felt, so all of those things have felt like, really good for me and really healing for me and rather than you know when I hear the 
word family, like rather than feeling defensive or closed off or bringing pain, I feel very lucky. Thank you, firstly, for sharing all of that. And it really took a lot of, I think, self-restraint on my part to not say anything while you're talking about that, because I think our stories are very similar. I've also experienced um, family rejection, moved across several countries to try and finally be in a place where, you know, I find people like me. And it's amazing how many stories are similar. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Bonds, do you want to add anything to that or... Tell me your story. My story is very different from Mick's. I have four first cousins, um, so did not grow up in a big family, and um, I'm close with my parents and my brother, but, you know, not really the extended family. I feel like there's just not a lot of connection, even though there's, like, blood relationship. And, you know, I grew up in a family that there was both material and emotional security, and so feel like I have really positive associations um, with the idea of family. And as a queer person, have been very accepted by my family. I, but also, I guess some of the difference between biological family and queer family or is maybe just the difference of how you feel known. Um, there's a lot I have to explain to my parents, not so much my brother. He does his own work and has relationships with queer people and, you know, so I don't really have to do that with him. But certainly with um, my parents, there's a lot of, you know, work and emotional labour to do to feel known by them and to have them understand me, which to their credit they try to do. Um, and I love them for that and I'm so grateful and also then it can be really, you know, nice to be in the spaces where you don't have to do all that and it's just, yeah, you, I just, it's just a feeling of, of being known. And, you know, I guess the connection um, with Loz, Tiff and Bibi really started with my, you know, dear friendship with Loz. You know, we've been mates for over 20 years now and, it makes me feel really old saying that <laughs> like twenty-year-old friendships, and also there's like such richness and and beauty in that. And so when I was ready to leave the West Coast and um, move to Melbourne, you know, I was immediately was like, "We're we're saving a room in the house for you. Like we want you to come and live with us, and you know, to be welcomed and wanted in that way is a pretty special feeling." And, you know, then Mick joined our household as well. And there's also, I think if we had been two couples living together, it probably also would have been a different vibe. I think having a child in the house too also changes the way there's like a rhythm and a structure to life. And so it's not like we, you know, 100% of the time shared meals because sometimes I don't want to eat at 5.30 p.m. At, at night. But also... I loved having, I loved having that. Like I love knowing that there is a sit around the table and a check in all the time, and it really does create a different like home culture when there is a family like that that you live with. And so, yeah, I just think that dynamic just happened organically. It wasn't a like, okay, we're we're doing this thing. It just was this thing. 
and I really, really loved that. There wasn't a level of intentionality. It just happened. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Um, Loz, it would be good if you also talk about how you all met and, like, yeah. how the family structure changed, if it did along the way. Well, I think for me, they also had a backstory to, you know, the experience of, of queer and blended family. Um, initially, when I was younger um, and I was overseas, I was living in a very close proximity to my Burmese extended family. We were very much woven through each other's lives and, and day-to-day. And I was also connected to the little inside of my family pretty closely. They're very different family dynamics, but I, I felt certainly really held in and connected to family, a biological family. And then we moved across the world um, when I was seven or eight years old and came to Blackwood, Australia. And for me, it was a, a really earth-shattering and um, life-altering experience of changing my concept of family. Um, I'm an only child. I have been very closely embedded with cousins who I'm related to as siblings. You know, our family structure was um, very interwoven there. And then suddenly I was living um, in Western Australia, in Perth. There is a big uh, Burmese community amongst others there. Um, but it was a, to me it felt like a different world. And um, and then I went I went through the experience of, of kind of uh, growing up also kind of coming into my own queerness amongst other things. Um, and for that and a variety of other reasons, um, experienced a, a number of different kind of challenges and estrangements with my um, family of origin and, and with my folks um, and some of the pain that goes along with that, even though there's also a huge amount of love. And, and for me and for them, it's always been a real desire to kind of hold on through that. There's just been so many challenges, um, including a real challenge around just coming out as queer and that being held and, and that being such a side of rejection in my family and then such a source of pain for me that it, it also really influenced where I went geographically and, and how I lived. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quick flash forward, um, some, you know, flash forward a few years. I, I found myself in a situation where um, I was becoming a parent it's not something I had necessarily really conceptualised for myself. I had, had lots of kids in my life, but it was, you know, it was just a really new thing to think about. And I think the way that Bottoms described family as something that unfolded or was unfolding or something that, that happened and grew and evolved over time, that also really resonated for me. And so when you ask about the joy of blended queer family, for me, that dovetails so much with thinking about the joy of parenting in mm-hmm. blended queer family, and um, and so for me, that's got a few different strands to it. I think one of those is that with um, with Tiff, who is one of my partners, who is Billy's co-parent, um, we you know we had a, a non-normative or non-monogamous relationship structure, so we were already falling outside of a kind of nuclear family model. And then we were just suddenly in this experience of parenting and trying to figure out what that meant, you know, how did it work, how did it work with partners and friends. Because of those conversations about relationship structure, I think we were already really in a headspace of thinking about um, being intentional about not wanting to default to the kind of hierarchy where nuclear family sits at the top of that or, you know, lovers are more important than friends. So there were various things that were already really ethical 
critically important to us. And then we had Billy, and then we were sort of fortunate enough to get into this this particular living situation um, with Bond and then later with Nick. I also want to say that I feel like here in this you know, kind of podcast room online, it represents part but not all of our blended family. Like there are, you know, it's been a site of, it's not static, right? Mm. Like there's this very core relationship, but there's also been change and movement in it. And so there's some people who aren't represented here, you mm. know, like my other partner. You know, there are, so there are people who, whose voices also feel crucial to this conversation. So I want to really honour um, as well. But for me, when you ask about the joy of queer and blended family, there are these things that just stand out for me as, as being so striking. Like I um, feel so lucky and so privileged and so humbled to have been able to parent and to continue parenting with uh, these adults who I love and I feel deeply and infinitely connected to and to um, to look at what that means to their relationship with my kiddo and vice versa. Um, that's translated to all kinds of really practical joys. Like I think of, I was thinking before coming into this discussion about just these moments that spark with joy. Like I remember Billy, I don't know if you remember this, but when you were a kinder and there was a form that was like your emergency contact and who could pick you up from kinder form mm. and, and they had it in a kind of a binder file and it your name had to be on there to be able to figure out, you know, to get to be authorised to drop off and pick up this child from Kinder. And I remember watching you navigate the conversation with Kinder because mm-hmm. they were like, but you've already got three people on here. Um, and you sort of said to the Kinder educators, yeah, you know, you don't need another piece of paper. <laughs> they were asking you about it and you were explaining who these people were who come and get you and how they're part of your family. And I remember just kind of looking at it and going, wow, there could have been this isolated version of it, but that's not what we're living. We're living this version that's really rich in love. Mm. Um, and I think I, the other thing that stands out is thinking about Billy's birthday party. Like, I think I felt, I just had no idea what is expected. Like, how do you throw a kid's birthday party? You've never been a parent. What? And I, I think about the years of being geographically close with Nick and with Bond, and I think about... You know, all of us just kind of going, okay, every adult has to facilitate a game. And then just the practical difference in level of responsibility and who's holding space and how much love and welcome there is. And I remember being at this party that, you know, was meant to be a drop-off party and then a whole lot of parents ended up saying that they wanted to stay because the party was so fun (laughs) and watching uh, these adults, including these two, who I love and care with, just parent with and, you know, and hold space and create events. Um, and so for me, that's all the joy of blended family. And also you ask at a really profound time because we've just been lucky enough to get over to Turtle Island and to spend time with Nick and Bonds over there. Um, and so the joy of it for me is also in that, like, being able to travel to the different um parts of the world that we're connected to in really different ways and to feel welcomed into and connected to and really loved by our shared community. You know, it was incredibly meaningful for me to meet um, Nick's family there, you know, very particularly Nick's mum, who I (laughs) 
been wanting to meet for a long time and to get to know and love her and feel known and loved by her. And so I think all of that for me feels like the joy of a particular kind of love, but also a particular kind of healing and repair, you know, when we've talked about what's resonated between a few of us around some of that pain of estrangement, mm-hmm. you know, or the pain of loss. Actually, part of the joy is the joy of, of refining that or the joy of that repair. Mm. It's so heartening to hear about that particular experience that Billy you had at school of, you know, demanding an extra sheet of paper. But Billy, I mean, is that the general experience? Do you feel like are other kids sort of good about this or, you know, do they ask you questions and how do you feel about those sorts of interactions? I mean, I never, like, so many of my friends have just, like, when they think of family, they think of, like, sometimes a very big family, but, like, mostly, like, blood-related family. And for me, it's, like, um, you know, like, we have a very big family. I'm close with a lot of them, but, like, um, I feel like I'm closer and have a bigger family of, like, not blood-related. Then how is that? I like it. <laughs> That is very cool. Thank you, Billy. Now that we've talked about the joy side of things, I also want to talk about challenges, if any, that you face within the family if that happens, but also externally with other people's dealings and interactions with you. I think over the past few years, I have felt um, like it's another coming out. of change pronouns, another coming out of living a non-monogamous life and a whole other round of explaining what that means. Part of my family is Mormon and Mormons have this like really sordid history of polygamy, but like a really, their type of polygamy that their history has is like, really harmful and has and was harmful to um, women and to children. So there's been like, you know, trafficking and different types of things that have happened within that culture. And so when my family heard, it was more of like this gossip that happened and then a, a even deeper rejection um, and a lot of confusion. But, you know, my mom moved in with us during the pandemic and so it's took a lot of conversation and teaching Mm -hmm. to get to the point of I think there's understanding there she'll say like I don't get it but I love you but I think she does get it you know it was kind of drilling down into like an understanding understanding what her triggers were around relationships um to get to that understanding So I think for me, that's been so challenging and like continuing to have patience, um, continuing to explain and feeling really alone in it. Mm. You know, I can only have those conversations with my mom, like no one else can do that work for me. And then having conversations with other family members, like my brother, I think feels a lot of rejection because I'm not close to him. And he doesn't understand why I'm 
closer to like my queer family. He consider considers it like a rejection, and I'm like, it's it's not. I just it's it's hard to explain to people that haven't that don't have another lens outside of you know heteropatriarchy mm-hmm. aren't interested in learning anything outside of that what how special it is and what it means to me and you know what non-monogamy means that and that it's more than like romantic partnerships that it's also like platonic friendships and really deep connections with people that I prioritize in my life mm-hmm. so I think it's been really hard and challenging and not being in the same country as the people that I want to live with that feels really challenging for me the biggest challenge would be being on the other side of the world and feeling that real split of feeling like I have strong connection in both places and not being able to live fully in either in some ways like I always sometimes I'm like oh, I don't make enough effort with people here because I already have my peeps at home but they're not in physical proximity and um, then other times when I am making more connection here I'm like oh man like I haven't spoken to you know the people at home that I love and it's just like a hard balancing act especially for somebody that is reasonably introverted and you know like I just like I just like I'm okay with just having a few people and some of my few people are very far away (laughs) (laughs) I mean then there's just like the challenges of when you have conflict with people that you love and how hard that can sometimes feel because you have such big love but I think in this iteration I don't really feel scared of rejection um you know, when when the times that we have had conflict with one another, there feels like an assurance that it never feels good at the time, but it, it'll get worked through. Yeah, so I guess that's both a challenge and a strength of close proximity and relationship in these ways. Yeah. Um, I found the challenge also in... You know, we live in a really mononormative world. We live in a world that's really centred on the nuclear family. And sometimes I think that can raise a challenge in how you communicate the importance of the queer family relationships that you are in and also what changes to those relationships um, or to your living setup actually mean. And sometimes the grief of that, you know, I know when... Sorry, my voice. But I know when, you know, when Nick left and then when Bonnie left, it was like, well, how do, how do you have language to be able to communicate, um, you know, what that means? And I think there's a language around separation of nuclear family that people understand. Um, and I found that to be so different. I think I've found the same probably around romantic relationship separation, you know, when that's, come, when that's entailed and a change, like a, a massive rupture in, in queer family and in co-parenting arrangements. But I think... Because of the world that we're in, there's sort of this understanding, oh, well, you know, if you're living with a co-parent and you've got this person, like, perhaps an expectation that that will land differently when I think the grief of that um, is in no way diminished by the difference in structure. So mm-hmm. I think some of those things have loomed for me. Um, 
And also Mick spoke about some stuff that I think is in the challenge of integrating family of origin and queer chosen family. And I really feel that as well, like a challenge in how do I communicate this and the importance of these relationships in a way that won't land as a rejection to my family of origin? How do I communicate it in a way that will be understood? And then also uh, I've been in a process of trying to build and hold on to and just inject trust and honesty in my relationship with my mum. You know, she's someone who spent a lot of time living with us, a lot of time with me, a lot of time with Bonds and Tiff and others in our family. And that has entailed for her really changing worlds, you know, where, where and how we live. Is totally different to the world um, that she lived in, and that there are so many benefits to that. In fact, there's so much, there's so much beauty in it. Often, I think she finds it easier, and <laughs> she gets so much love from and so much respect for the other folks in our family. I mean, in some ways, that's probably kind of an easier relationship because it doesn't have all of the emotional hurting and history that can be in a family of origin relationship or a parent-child relationship. But there can definitely just be a real challenge in like, yeah, how do I bring this together? How do I represent it? And also how on earth do I speak about it honestly with my family in a way that's not going to trigger further rejection or not going to um, impact or disenfranchise other relationships, which I think weighs heavily, especially um, as a parent, because I reckon decisions you make there then might influence your child's relationship also with other family members. So kind of all of that stuff, I think, boils to me. You're listening to Queer Brood, a show about queer family. On today's show, we're speaking to Mick, Bonds, Loz and Billy about their chosen family. In the second half of our conversation, they share their insights about understanding family structures outside of legal and societal definitions, what parenting means to them, and advice for other queer people who want to support and sustain their own chosen families. Mick also speaks about the experience of foster parenting as a queer Indigenous person and how the system can do better by actively considering queer Indigenous folks as foster parents where Indigenous children and youths can find safety. <laughs> there was a point. Bonds and I are married. In order to live in the same country, that was necessary. And also, I really loved them. And Past tense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's why you get got married at the time. Anyway, I love you in the present tense, too. And... And that was important for like immigration and all of the things. And that just felt like really, the process was like actually really easy. And that felt pretty shitty mm. because any, <laughs> so many um, brown people trying to come to America just are imprisoned or, you know, harmed or experience violence and death at the border. And so the ease of that, for us felt like holding to, you know, holding like a lot of joy and then holding a lot of sadness and heaviness for 
people that don't get to experience the ease of movement and safety. Um, that feels hard for me, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, when I was younger, I married my queer best friend because going back to Romania as a gay man was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I've, you know, we used to joke that we were like a gay marriage, but just like nobody knew. Um, mm-hmm. And we married so that they could live here and that they could experience um, freedom. And eventually they moved their mom and their brother and their sister here. So for me, like when I think about family and blended family, I think about like the ways that in which we we can um, support each other outside of like legal definitions because most of these laws are meant to, you know, keep us from experiencing our full selves and lives. And um, I have no respect for colonial governments. Mm -hmm. And so whatever I can to live outside of those or undermine them in in any way. And so I think like marriage is one of, is one of those things that feels like an immigration hard and necessary and just bullshit. Then I think about that in terms of um, you know if if Mick ever wanted to immigrate to Australia as well of not living you know in this place with everything that that goes on here and you know, having access to better systems and healthcare and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff, like, you know, exercising the privilege that I have and, you know, being white-skinned and also being born in Australia, it's not like you're fleeing um, an unsafe situation in your life necessarily, but just also not having to deal with some of the really hard things that go on here, if that is ever something that they choose. Mm. The next question I had was for advice for other queer people who are in the process of creating a family like that and how how to create and how to sustain and how to make it as loving as your relationship. I think about some of my friends now that um, aren't around families or aren't around people with kids in them and aren't around elders and just have like their core relationships or people like within, you know, a five year range on either side of their age range where it's like, that's their queer family and their community. I've been asked recently or, and been told like, you know, you're so lucky you have elders in your life. You have kids in your life. You have like this range of, people and ages um, in your community and I didn't really think about it you know I didn't I didn't think about like how unique that is and how I know how special it is but I um, just felt like everybody was looking for that and creating that space but it is yeah it is unique especially you know within queer community and queer culture we lost so many of our elders during the AIDS epidemic and not everybody has kiddos. And then when they do, there's like 
the rhythm of being a nuclear family and like what that is like for a lot of people um, kind of revert to like hetero way of like being in family mm-hmm. and I don't know I, I don't I've just been like thinking about that lately you know like what that means for me and like I've also I also feel like I put a lot of um, intention into my friendships and into my community and I'm I'm very very lucky to live and work within um, my indigenous community and have a canoe family of people that have kids that are of all different um, yeah just all different types of people and I think when I looked at it maybe like a year ago I was like oh I just really need more queer people in my life and then a couple of us were joking around and like actually I feel like there's more queer folks in our canoe family than there are straight folks in our queer family and we just started counting it up and texting people Mm. (laughs) what is your your gender identity what is your sexual identity and we were like we win there's more (laughs) queer ones (laughs) and a lot of queer kiddos Mm. and one of our canoe family friends said a few months ago she said um we have been talking about and creating like what we want our a thriving future to look like for our indigenous community and she's like i look at this canoe that we've like carved that we created that was cut down and carved and that we've like worked on this is what was taken from us this is what was taken from our ancestors these canoes would have been burned they were illegal and she's like, we're creating worlds where our kids will never know what it's like to not have a canoe family. And I think about that so much when I think about the kiddos in our community aren't going to know what it's like to not understand queer language, gender identity, and the spectrum of that, and the fullness of that, and the same with sexual identity and the spectrum and the fullness of it. Um, that these worlds are being created now and so we get to live with these kiddos and still be and still have the stories and the guidance of our elders and like that's very special to me so seek those things out too like build your community and surround yourself with people of all ages <laughs> there's so much to learn and so much richness in it for me remembering that you can have kids in all kinds of ways and that's not limited to romantic partnership. So, like, for me, having a kid with someone who's been a, a friend for, like, more than 15 years, you know, who's always been a romantic partner with me, one platonic life partner with me, there are all of these options. And so, yeah, not accepting these kind of limitations that feel like they can just, by osmosis, sink right in and be imposed on us seems really significant. Mm-hmm. The other thing I had in mind around building queer family was some stuff that's like I've learned more about relationship commitment and transforming conflict and loyalty and care and showing up um, from these folks than really anyone. And so 
for me, I think a lot of my reflections on building queer family are like move towards, you know, move towards the kindness that, you know, that is around, that you think that's displayed in the people that you love because I feel like that's been part of just like the fabric of building family here.
you know, also just like seeing what it's like to watch a young person grow up in a queer family because like none of us have had that. We've all had to like carve out our own way and like figure things out much, much later in life and it's just, I don't know, beautiful intergenerational, intergenerationally to see such a huge change and then watch these young people like deconstruct and build the next layers of that. Yeah. Beautiful. I just wanted to also say one last thing that I was thinking while we were all chatting and an experience that I sometimes like forget because the pandemic has been so big <laughs> that the before times are like so fuzzy. But uh, Bonds and I were foster parents for a very difficult six months. <laughs> but some of my... Um, I always wanted to be a foster parent. I never wanted to give birth. I've never had that desire. Um, occasionally when my hormones are whack, um, but then I come back to my senses. <laughs> but I've always wanted to be a foster parent because I have, you know, been um, auntie to many, many kids in my family, and I really love it. And I like being around. I like being around kids. I've worked with kids for many years as a teacher and um, in social work. And something that, like conversations that we've had and conversations that I've had with like a lot of other two-spirit folks that I work with, that I worked with and that I was like talking to about fostering. And this is, prob this is very specific to Turtle Island and to our shit government. And, um, but I think there's probably also some things that folks, indigenous folks um, can relate to in, your country and the situation there, mm. which is like the, the large numbers of indigenous youth that are removed from our households and how important it is for them to find um, safety in indigenous households. Mm. But there aren't enough households that are able to take in those kids and I think that there's a, um, a disconnect within the system while, where people are recruiting. And I've, I've thought so many times, like, why aren't they recruiting within queer households? Mm. Why aren't they looking for, yeah, more BIPOC queer people that have two incomes, no kids, and maybe they have space for for some kids on the weekend to do some respite or you know, can take in temporarily kids or maybe they want to have a, a child that needs a home. And so I think there's a, a miss there that I just wanted to highlight. And maybe that's something else, like a conversation that you might have with other people. But that to me is like an important piece that um, hasn't been talked through enough within our communities. Thank you. You've been listening to Queer Brood, a show about queer family. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Mick, Bonds, Loz and Billy about their beautiful blended family. If this episode brought up anything upsetting or triggering you'd like to talk about, you can call QLife on 1300 555 727 
or visit their website at qlive.org.au where you can connect via web chat with someone between 3pm and midnight. See you next time. is produced and presented by a group of queer and trans broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne with financial support from the city of Yara here in Nam. The theme music for Queer Brood is produced by Darcy O'Connell. Queer Brood programs can be downloaded from 3cr.org.au and listened to as podcasts on your favourite podcast app. <laughs>